0: Hello and welcome to Red Nets, the official podcast of Empire of the Cop. And what a win it was against Inter Milan, secured close to the death with a 2 0 win at the San Siro. As Liverpool continued to pile misery onto the Serie A's top sides. Uh, joining me today, we've got Peter Kenny Jones, Steve Carson. I'll be your host, Farrell Keeling. Steve, tremendous results in the end, but I think for much of the the tie, I think you know Inter gave a good sort of account of themselves. But you know, what did you make of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Inter pull up a good fight. You know, you'd expect them to do it at home. Champions of Italy, you know, you know, it's never going to be an easy game. But uh, apart from Channanova we hitting the crossbar early on, they didn't really look like much of a threat. They got done by, like, so many teams we've seen over the last couple of years. The offside trap so just done them too many times. Uh, so all the threatening chances that we remember from the game, there were so many offsides and um, they were never really goal scoring opportunities and that is by design uh, the way Jürgen Klopp sets up his team it's not a mistake Um, yeah Inter made a good account of themselves you know they can be they can feel a little bit hard done by by the scoreline but at the end of the day this Liverpool team has shown before that it can win you know with fire and flames or it can get down dirty and it can just sort of grind out these wins which is what happened at the San Siro and you know, Inter put up a good fight, as I've said a few times already. But, you know, if I was an Inter fan right now, I'd be a little bit concerned about what the scoreline could be at Anfield. The atmosphere would be completely different. Obviously, the home fans, you know, they made a good show of themselves in the San Siro. You know, they made a good atmosphere. But towards the end of the end of the game, you could just hear the Liverpool fans, which, as you'd expect, two nil down. Sort of, uh, you know, that sort of thing does sort of happen. But, Yeah, at Anfield, the atmosphere is going to be fierce. Anfield's known for the Champions League nights. It's going to be quite the host atmosphere for Inter Milan. And yeah, I mean, at this point, for them, it's damage control. They needed to win at the San Siro to go through. And as far as I'm concerned, Liverpool have got one foot in the next round. One very solid foot in the next round. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much, I think, to talk about from that
0: game as well. I think, you know, there's so many, like, sort of quality performances from the lads that started. I think, you know, um, obviously, the Virgil van Dijk I think, deserved sort of man of the match. But I think, equally, I think Ibrahima Konate was an absolute colossus at the back, you know, for Liverpool. The fact that, you know, so many times this season he's been out for a few games, um, not through injury, of course, just with the selection with Joel Matip bossing it, um, and then gets sort of dragged back into the first 11 and just looks like a player that's played consistently. Um, as a first-choice centre-half for much of the season, I think it's absolutely tremendous and certainly a great indicator of the talent and potential at his disposal. Um, Pete, I want to give a shout as well to the, the substitutes. I think it would be completely unfair to skip past their contributions, particularly Bobby Firmino. Jordan Henderson, who's been under some criticism of late, you know, what, what did you make of the impact of the substitutes?
2: Well, I think it's a testament to the, the squad depth that we didn't have two weeks ago, but now everyone's fit. We've got one of the best squads going. And Jürgen yeah, Klopp, because, you know, he just, he made the calls, right? So you know, he doesn't really, I, obviously he gets praised, but I feel like we don't say it week in, week out, you know, or that was because of him, because we're all just so used to how amazing he is. And I think as good as Salah and Van Dijk and everyone is, I still think he's head and shoulders the best thing about our football club. And I think that was demonstrated by those subs he made, you know, to be able to bring on those players. And to so have those players in the squad they were all, know, fighting to get on the pitch and, and proving wrong why he should be starting. There was no one who came on and looked like they were sulking or upset they weren't playing in the San Siro. And don't forget, a lot of these players probably didn't play the first time we played AC because he, he made so many changes. So I think, you know, you'd, you'd expect one or two maybe to be a bit downhearted that they, were, they weren't chosen. I think Hendo's probably one of them. And we know he's had quite a bit of criticism, the last few days from people, not me, but quite a few fans or people who call themselves fans, and saying that you know he he needs to go or whatever they've said about him. But I think the way he came on and just set the tempo, and then obviously Bobby, he's probably similar, but everyone writes him off, and you know he comes on and scores the goal, and all of them. You know Luis Diaz, yeah, he was he is a brand new signing, but he just looked like a totally different player when he came on. He was just everywhere, and legs everywhere, and just all of them, and it's. Klopp picked the right men to come on, the right men to come off. And, you know, I think Fabinho for Hendo, I was thinking what's going on here, not because Hendo coming on, but Fabinho was so good. And then to change that, but, you know, to basically go for it with 20 minutes to go after San Siro first leg, it could have gone really wrong for us, but you got the call right. And yeah, it's a testament to the squad we've got, and but most of all to, to the boss who, who called it perfectly.
0: I'm glad you brought up uh, Fabinho because I think if I'm being completely honest at the time I thought it was a rather weird substitution given how well uh, Fabinho had been playing in the first half you know the lad just seemed to be every everywhere and anywhere uh, across the pitch you know making those key interceptions and just being a general nuisance um evidently it paid off um it, it's worth spending time on Emerson because as you both sort of you know pointed out you know he has suffered from a lot of criticism of late um some of it is certainly merited, um, though we, we have to sort of note that sort of calls for him to be sort of permanently sort of dropped from the first eleven is a bit over, over the top. And he, he's a player that seems to invite a lot of this sort of angry response on Twitter, isn't, isn't he, Steve?
1: Yeah, it's something Jordan Edison's had since he signed for the club years ago. You know, his, his entire journey has been plagued with. Is he good enough? Is he good enough? I mean, we're talking about a player that's lifted the Premier League and Champions League title. Don't get me wrong, he couldn't have done it on his own. You know, he's got his teammates and that, but he's, he's the engine of Liverpool. And, you know, I don't think we'd be sort of breaking any new ground to say that in the starting 11, which, as you know, with Jurgen Klopp, it's a bit more of a starting 16, if you like, but it we wouldn't be breaking too much ground to say that he's one of the less technically gifted players in the squad. You know, certainly he is a world-class midfielder. There's no doubt about that. But when you compare him to some of his teammates, like Thiago and Fabinho, you start to, you know... There are players in the squad who are, are technically more gifted than Jordan Henderson, but that doesn't really take too much away from the man himself. Um, anyone who speaks about Henderson talks about his leadership qualities and stuff like that. And that These are the things that you don't really see uh, when you're watching on TV. Certainly you might hear it if you're in the ground and you hear it you heard screaming at his players. Um, I mean, you can just see that he, he wears his heart on his sleeve, which is sometimes, you know, some Liverpool fans will take the piss out of the idea that, like you know, players will give their everything and you know they'll be passionate and stuff like that. But it, it, you need that. You can't just have eleven robots who are you know fantastic at football. It's not, it's not going to be quite the same. You need different types of players, different types of personalities. But yeah, this is not new for Jordan Henderson. Um, obviously, we all know his quality, and you do get those people that talk about these drop-offs. And like you say. This season, there has been a couple of times where Henderson has definitely not played at the level that we've expected him at, but that can be said of other players. Uh, Certainly, there's been a few times this season I've watched Andy Robertson and thought, he's not putting in the 10s that we've seen in the past couple of years. He's putting in 8s and 9s, but he's not putting in the 10s. You apply that sort of same rule for Jordan Henderson, drop-off is maybe a little bit more noticeable when Thiago is playing like prime Xabi Alonso and Fabinho is playing like prime Gautusso. And then you sort of look at Henderson, you wonder what he's doing. Um, so you can see why the criticism's there. But you know, at the end of the day, there's a, there's a reason he's got the armband. There's a reason he's been around for so long. There's a reason he's still at the club. And we've been so successful with him. And it's because he's a world class footballer. And that has not changed overnight. You need those pl- fundamentally, as you pointed out, you need those players
0: with that sort of grit, that willpower, you know, the kind of lads that are going to sort of drive you over the line, even if they aren't the most technically gifted player in the squad um, it, it, it's critical um, but you know it, it does invite sort of discussions over what a potential best Liverpool midfield at the moment looks like. We've seen Harvey Elliott come back in the squad. You know, at the start of the season, he looked absolutely tremendous, defying expectations before his uh, uh, unfortunate ankle injury. Um, again, Thiago's been phenomenal. Fabinho's his quality uh, speaks for himself. And, you know, we've had other lads sort of come in and, and, and be tremendous uh, throughout the season. I mean, Pete, where, where do you stand on sort of the best sort of Liverpool midfield combination in terms of, in terms of the
2: midfield? Um, like, ha, ha, has that game sort of changed your viewpoint at all? Yeah, p- probably not really changed, anything from, from last night. I think you in a show that they're all good. That's what it did last night. Uh, but I think with the, the ideal start on the field, I think you're never really going to have to play it unless it's the Champions League final because there's always a game after and a game before that the club's going to take into account, you know. Harvey Elliott comes off early because he's thinking about his injury and his comeback and probably, you know, it's the same with all players. They're all totally different and he's thinking about a busy month coming up. So, you know, it's it's hard to pick the ideals today. I think, obviously, we can pick them and Clock might agree with what most people pick, but he might pick that team for the next game. And obviously, last night... People get excited because it was Fabinho, Thiago, and Elliot, and obviously they're all great players. But I still would put Hendo in the starting of the three. You know, even if this is just, he took him out to get a reaction out of him. We saw what he did to Southampton the way it was a couple of years ago when he came on and, and turned it on. So I think he obviously knows what he's doing, Klopp. And that's why he's so good. So I think taking Hendo out one or two games, putting him on the bench is fine. But then we've also got, I think I was about nine centimetres we've got for three positions so there's always going to be people coming on with a reaction and they're going to be maybe more up for it if they've missed a couple of games that like Oxide chamberlain scored two and two and hasn't played since so you think you know, if he comes into the next match you can imagine him grabbing it by the scruff of the neck and you might think well he's got to play and it's a good headache to have but I think Probably you've got to say Thiago, Hendo, Fabinho would be the three you pick. But just trying to say that you wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset if Thiago and Hendo didn't play. I think Fabinho was the only one who's nailed on that's his position. No one's better than him. I think the other two positions, literally anyone else could play there. And any of them on the day would be better than the, the other seven people in front of them. You know, they, They've all got that capability to win a game for us. And we're in a lucky position to have all them, men. I mean, the critical thing is obviously right now, got the depth to be able to, to have
0: that selection headache you know for, for, for Klopp you know you've got sort of Harvey Ederson and Abby Keiter Alex Oxlade chamberlain you've got the options now in the squad, and it's it's quite remarkable given the criticism we've had over depth of the season. When you actually do look at that squad on paper and go, "All right, none of none of you are injured. There's no you know Afcon commitments. Um, this this is the full squad. It's it's thoroughly impressive. You know, perhaps not to the same extent as cities, but uh, you know, I think cities are almost it's almost it's almost an anomaly. You know, it's it's, it's possible to compare. Um, speaking of sort of best potential 11s, uh, Pete and I were on earlier today to talk with Sam Collymore about whether he would make it into a Klopp best 11. This is what he had to say. Before we move on to Pete, Stan, I'm, I'm just going to throw a slight bit of a curveball at you here. Um, and I'm going to sort of look specifically at yourself. Um, so, in form, absolute peak, Stan Collymore, would he get into a Klopp best 11?
3: I think so. I think because I was, I, was, I mean, at Nottingham Forest, I was an out-and-out out number nine. I scored 50 goals in 68 games. So, the, 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 the goals-to-games ratio at Forest was up there with with Liverpool strikers other than the very, very, very best. The interesting thing I always think about in terms of my Liverpool career is when I came in, um, I had to completely adapt to my game. I often found myself over on the left-hand side. Um, I think if you look at the statistics, I think that between Robbie and I, we got just over 100, 200, goals and assists, goal involvements as they're called now. Uh, And Robbie asked about his favourite strike partner for Liverpool. He didn't say um, Ian Rush. He didn't say some of the other luminaries he played. He said me. Um, So uh, I I, I won't be so um, uh, bold and brazen as to put myself in front of uh, the likes of John Barnes or Saido Mane. But if Jürgen uh, called on me at my very best to play to the left of a three... I'd have gone past people, stuck it in the box, and I could have weighed in with a goal. So uh, I'd have certainly have had myself, uh, and I would have loved to, of course, play for a, a Jurgen Klopp team. But Jurgen Klopp teams are very much about high-octane, high-pressing, um, which I uh, wasn't me. It wasn't Robbie Fowler, actually, either, nor Steve McManaman. Very different types of forward players. But, yeah, I'd have thrown myself in there and certainly would have fancied myself um, if you'd have picked me or if you'd brought me off the bench to contribute something to any Liverpool front three. We
0: are back. Yes, it is us. Um, well, that was a snippet of Stan Collymore um, and a uh, best Liverpool 11. Um That episode will be coming out later on our sub stack. You can catch it on Empire, the Cop, uh, the Red Nets podcast. Um, but yeah, no, back to... Back to the Liverpool squad, currently as it is. And we're going to stick with the midfield for this one, uh, but not Jordan Henderson. And we're going to move to the veteran, uh, the midfielder supreme, that is James Milner. Uh, Because, of course, the talk that has been coming out of late is that the lad's going to be offered a new contract, 36 years of age. It's going to be about a year contract. I think uh, the idea seems to be, Pete, that he's going to be sort of kept as sort of a player, sort of coach role, potentially.
2: Yeah, um I'm all for it. I, you know, I'd give him another five years if he wants to. I think the role he has in the squad, you know, we watch ninety minutes a week, maybe two of them have we played midweek. And we don't see eighty percent of what happens in the football club. Uh, and I think James Milner would be a huge part of that. I, I remember Klopp saying like he puts out fires before they even started in the dressing room and you can you can't imagine how pivotal him and Jordan Henderson will beat it. The harmony that we've got you know when do you ever hear of a dressing room bust up or anything from Liverpool nothing ever seems to go wrong in terms of player morale and players getting along so I think you've got to notice the role he has and you know fair play if we if I'm allowed to say fair play to Brendan Rodgers for bringing him in because it was the summer that Gerrard left and we needed someone who's had experience and could be a leader and obviously Jordan Henderson was just gonna kind of take the armband, and I'm—I I don't know personally, but I'm sure James Miller would have helped him from the first day he came in up to now. And I think what happens with most of these older players, they seem to—you know—they might move on if they want to keep his career going. he will start his coaching at a different club, and we'll end up losing them to—you know—say like Rooney's at Derby. You'll end up losing them to a Championship club, and you know, John Terry for Chelsea fans, and we went to Villa. I'm sure they'd much rather have had him on the bench. So I think. If you can get a route for him into being a coach, I think you know he's literally the perfect man you'd want to have there. He's got all the experience, he's won everything you'd want to win, Uh, you know, consummate professional. And I think just in any way we can keep him at the club if Klopp wants him there long term, then you know you could. I don't see why that wouldn't be a positive. And if he wants to keep getting five minutes here and there and keeping his appearances up and adding to the squad, I'm definitely all for it because I don't think Klopp would start him if he wasn't. Ready to be started, or wasn't better than someone else in the squad. So, you will know, definitely keep him in there for as long as he and, and Klopp want him to be there.
0: You mentioned about him putting out fires, and I, I think that's certainly um, a key part of his sort of role um, at Liverpool. I, I keep thinking back. Um, so when they, we were celebrating the title on the, on the stand um, and Jordan Henderson sort of helped a very sort of awkward and shy Takemina Takemin Mino join in in the celebrations. You know, he felt he'd just you know, recently joined. And it, you know, it must it must be just a bit difficult when you're like the new lad in the block and, you know, you almost don't feel like you're a part of that sort of celebration. Um, and then you fast forward um to the Champions League and it's just seeing um, James Milner, you know, have a little word in uh, Louis, Louis Diaz's uh, ear, just to make him just feel a bit more comfortable. You know, obviously there's there's a bit of a language um, barrier there, but you know, I think it's important having players like that in the squad that do make the new lads feel welcome, isn't it, Steve And, and act as also a link between you know the academy and and, and the first team.
1: Yeah, I think James Milner is that, that kind of player. I mean, you know, it's. I mean, I'm sure we all remember that there's a there's a room or an office in Kirby that's named after James Milner. I mean, there's no way that that's just a completely random thing. You wouldn't just do that for any player, you know. Even if it is sort of tongue in cheek, which we don't, we don't know the full story behind it. But you know, yeah, James Milner is obviously one of those figures. I think Pete touched upon it there in terms of uh, leadership and stuff like that. You know. Um, he's one of those sort of older heads that helps with those things like you were saying with the new players coming in and you know if keeping him around even just keeps you know a few players a little bit happier it helps gel things behind the scenes don't forget he's still a very good footballer um, you know he, he comes out of the San Siro you know at the end of the day the game is pretty much won but he comes out of the San Siro in the Champions League he's still a very good footballer you know technically gifted um, so keeping him around absolutely you know why not the end of the day you know I I see a lot of people on the internet which is usually where people have these kind of complaints Um, but on the internet you'll see people complaining about James Milner getting a new year-long contract as if that's having any sort of impact on maybe potential contracts for superstar players which no we're not going to get James Milner a one-year extension um at the cost of you know Mohamed Salah's five-year contract or something like this those things just don't line up Um So I'm very happy to see him uh, stick around in the squad. He is sort of a bit of an old head, a bit like James Milt, uh, a bit like Jordan Henderson. Um, So, yeah, very happy to see him stick around. Um, You know, over the last few years, he's become one of my favourite players at the club. And when we first signed him, I really didn't see much in it. A bit like some of the people at Man City, I imagine. I thought he was just done, you know, a little bit over the hill, average footballer. He's proved me wrong. He's proved Man City wrong. And, you know, these fans that are sort of saying, you know, it's time to let Milner go. If Klopp wants to give him another year, he'll prove those fans wrong as well because he's done it to loads of people before. No,
0: the, the, the Mo Salah conspiracy theory, uh, the contract conspiracy theory, is, is one of the most bizarre sort of rumours to have emerged uh, on Twitter. As you, as you rightly pointed out, I don't think the club w- would would choose, would be forced into a position of choosing between a, contract, a year contract for Milner and a long-term contract for one of its best players in Mo Salah. It just doesn't add up in the slightest Um, in terms of I mean it makes sense doesn't it to keep those sort of players um, sort of involved in the side and give them that potential pathway into into coaching um, Liverpool if they want it you know they've worked with the manager they understand um, the culture they understand um, they understand what it means to be a sort of a Liverpool player first and foremost and and a part of the, the family, a part of the Liverpool family. Um, so always, always important to keep those sort of players around if you can. Um, yeah, no, coming up next, of course, we've got a clash against Norwich City to look forward to. And obviously we'll be hoping to claw back uh, some of the deficit uh, from Manchester City. Um, nine points behind, but we've got a game in hand, of course. And there's always the potential of further dropped points from City.
2: Well, how, how are you feeling about this one, Pete? Well, you know, on paper, it's the, the game we should be looking forward to, isn't it? Playing knowledge at home. But, you know, Dean Swift has done a good job since he's gone there, and it won't be as easy as we hope. But, you know, you've still got to have confidence that this team, when we seem to get in a role, it, it does keep going. And we've we've had a good run since since after Christmas, really. And I think I read that February is statistically the worst month on the clock, normally with the lowest win percentage, but with, you know, Champions League games and. FA Cup League Cup final it's going to be a big month for us and hopefully we can we can change that this this month and this year and just uh, just go out and keep the momentum going we've we've said already about the squad depth we've got there's so many players jumping at the bit to prove that they should be playing we don't know how long Jota's is going to be out for so you know you've got Bobby Firmino who's just scored Luis Diaz will want to be playing and they're all going to have a, a cup final at the end of the month set on in the targets and they're all going to have to precedent Norwich to try and change Klopp's mind of whatever the starting lineup would be. So I'd expect us to to go out, go flying, and, and hopefully get a good result. But you know, with it being at Anfield, we should also have another little edge on our side. But it won't be as as easy as I think maybe we we first seen. But I'll probably still predict a six 0 win for <laughs> him. Um, well, um, I think that we. We should have enough and, you know, we've got to be beating knowledge if we want to win the Premier season and keep the pressure on City. So, fingers crossed we we do that and convincingly would be nice.
0: I mean, Steve, Pete's noted the, the cup final at the end of the month and I think, I mean, Klopp's already sort of alluded to it in press conferences but there's going to be a need to rotate options, keep legs fresh and ensure we can fill out a, a strong side You know, in the months against Chelsea and get some silverware on early which can obviously supercharge the season and the push for the silverware um, with that in mind what, what what sort of team
1: can you see Klopp putting out against Norwich I don't really think there's going to be a better fixture to rotate in, in Norwich in between Inter and you know the, the cup final at the end of the month I'm not sure there's a better opportunity so yeah I think we're going to see a lot of the stars rested against Norwich even though it is a Premier League game that we you know we need to be winning it because like you say we've, we've got to catch up with City if we're going to have any hopes of you know getting that title for ourselves and, you know, nine points behind them. Hopefully we can close it to six. And then obviously we have to take on City ourselves. There's a chance, basically. So we've got to go for it. But yeah, there's going to be, I think, heavy rotation. But I mean, I say that Jürgen Klopp won't presume the game's done against Inter, but we could also see a little bit of rotation there and then maybe bring off some of the stars off the bench if we need, if we find ourselves in a position that we need to score a goal. But well, I mean, I mean, Inter aren't going to come to Anfield and win 3 0. I'll just say that right now. If they, if they couldn't win 1 0 at the San Zero, they're not going to win 3 0 at Anfield. But to get back to Norwich, yeah, I think there's going to be rotation. And um, we're pretty much a fully fit squad at the minute. It's, it's great. Jürgen Klopp's in a fantastic position. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he changed at least eight players from from the normal starting eleven, and obviously kept the usual suspects on the bench. I think expecting the likes of Ox, Pete said before, Ox has put in some good performances this season. I don't think there'd be any hesitation to put him in against Norwich. Um, Great game for Diaz as well. Um, you know, good opportunity for him to sort of, you know, get against one of those more grittier teams in the Premier League. You know, Casis um, Jones, I think it makes sense to put him in as well. Um, maybe there's a reason Harvey Elliott went off a little bit early. Maybe iron up that he could, you know, play in there. There's going to be a lot of rotation. Simicast, we haven't seen him for a while. I could very much, you know, see him coming in. I'd even suggest as well that Nico Williams, had he not joined Fulham, you know, I think this is the kind of game where he'd step in. So I think there's going to be heavy rotation against Norwich. Louis Diaz has got to be bolt on
0: to start against Norwich. And you think it's got to be such a prime opportunity for him to hopefully get his first Liverpool goal. And again, you know, Jane, mentioned he was completely out of the squad against Inter Milan, so you'd have to think as well, primed for minutes against Norwich City. Um, well, Steve, while I've got you, uh, I mean, Pete's already sort of roughly alluded to the kind of scoreline he'll be looking at. Uh, are you
1: feeling bold on this one? <laughs> I'm not going to say six 0 and I'm not going to put that pressure on the players. <laughs> uh, although it is possible, um, yeah. I mean, it's hard to predict the score when you really don't know the starting eleven. Like as I say, it's going to be heavy rotation, so I can't even imagine who's going to really be there. There's a few players you can suspect, like Simicass and Jones. You know, I've mentioned before, anyway. But yeah, I think at Anfield you've got to fancy the form. I'm going to back. Back a clean sheet, yeah. I'm just going to see it as bread and butter. Nice 2-0 win for Liverpool.
2: Go on, Pete. Your time to shine is now. I don't think we're going to rotate as much as as Steve said, and I still think I think Mal will be in there, and you know, obviously he scored yesterday, but I think after two games before that didn't get on the score sheet, so I think he'll be out to try and catch up on his goals per game ratio. And I think the main thing will be scoring early because I think that will get their heads down and get us going. So. I won't go six. I'll say four again. It didn't work last time, but I think we'll have a stronger side and it'll be built to go and win early and then take them all off and rest a few of them. Maybe the midfield will be switched up, but I reckon it's going to be Salah's day again and I reckon he'll get two or three and we'll get four and it'll be a nice day for everyone.
0: Oh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, that, that confidence has really sort of G'd me up. And you know what, I'm going to go even bolder. I'm going to go for a 5-0. You yeah. heard me here first, five goals. You know, I, 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 <laughs> Norwich has proven to be a good one for us in the past, but you know, have to see, like Steve said, have, like you both said, have to see what kind of team we put out and hopefully get the three points in the bag, step closer to catching up with City. Who knows? Who knows? They can always they can always slip up. They've proven it before, um, but for now, this has been uh, Red Net Empire of the Cop. We've had Peter Kenny Jones, Steve Carson, Rick Elliott in the wings producing, and myself, your host, Farrell Keeling. Take care.